Hello, everybody. Hey, everybody. Hey, everyone. If, uh, if you want to unmute yourself and say hello, you can do that here. Uh, hello. Go ahead and do that if you want to say hello. Hi, guys. Everybody later. <laughs> Hello, look at all of our beautiful friends. Hey, friends. Pennsylvania. All right, Pennsylvania. Hey it's great. The Morris. Oh, man. Wonderful. Hi, Kathy. Yeah, Hi, Vic. See you guys there. Hey, Trevor. Oh, hey, there's so many people. Hey, Trevor. Good evening. Hey, there. Look at. Mm hmm. Oh, this awesome. is great, guys. Awesome. We had a 120. Hi, everybody. All right. Well, welcome, Hello. everybody. Hi. <laughs> okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to session two. More and more people are popping in. Welcome to session two of Hope University. And um, we are so glad that you have joined us tonight. All right. Hold on. I got to plug back in here. Right, I'm going to go ahead and mute everybody again real quick. Great. More and more people are showing up. Where's Beth? I'll mute all real quick. She must be watching it. Okay. And then let's see here. All righty. Pastor Dale, you are unmuted. And great. And Dr. Siemens, you are muted. We're going to keep letting people in here. And uh, more and more people are hopping in. We have our almost 130 folks in, so we're glad everyone's joining us tonight. We're just going to keep letting people in as they're coming along. And uh, welcome again to session two of Hope University. I just have a few quick uh, housekeeping things. I'll turn it over to Pastor Dale to introduce Dr. Siemens and our topic for tonight. Um, many of you were asking about when are we publishing a recording for Hope University. That went live yesterday. And uh, so that's on YouTube. The audio is on the Community of Hope podcast, which is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So however you get your podcast, you download the audio there. As well as the video of Pastor Dale's teaching on Wesleyan theology is on the Hope University uh, website that uh, you all signed up for this session on. So um, what our plan moving forward is what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to publish the video of these recordings on Thursdays online on YouTube and on our podcast, wherever you get those. So we just need a week to figure out our rhythm and our processes. Last week is live right now. And then uh, we uh, will go from there. So again, look for this recording on Thursday for you or any family members that you may have. Uh, who did, um, who didn't, who want to miss, who missed this or who uh, want to rewatch it or whatever else. Cause it's going to be some fantastic stuff. Um, there's that also, we're going to keep the, uh, we're going to keep the same habits uh, moving forward uh, and the same process moving forward that we'll have teaching for about an hour ish. And then we'll take about a half hour ish of questions. Make sure that if you uh, put your questions in the chat room and so you can see the chat feature for zoom. So, uh, don't just save your question for the ring. If you have a question throughout Dr. Siemens teaching site, throw it in the chat and then, uh, I will go through and we'll come through and we'll have some of the best questions. We'll pick those out and we'll pick Dr. Siemens brain about this. So, um, more and more people happen in almost 140 people already in right now. So that's fantastic. 
And then, uh, so we'll keep doing that. I think that's it for housekeeping items. I'm going to turn it over to you, Pastor Dale. Great. Thank you so much, Trevor. And yeah, this is so exciting. And I want to welcome everybody back. This is uh, something that we really felt called to across the summer. And I'm just so excited to see such a great response to this. And we just have some great topics and some great presenters. And uh, without uh, a lot of fanfare, we're going to jump into this one tonight. But before we do, I just want to tell you about this man. So uh, Dr. Steve Siemens has uh, impacted generation, uh, really after generation, uh, that is showing its impact in our church. So uh, I know that I had uh, Dr. Siemens when I was at seminary the first time. This would be back in 1985. Beth had him. Trevor had him. Leah had him, uh, Eric Stewart had him, Haley uh, and Brandon have had him now. So uh, I've, I've got the wonderful opportunity, Beth and I do, that he has not only uh, mentored us and poured into our lives, but he's poured into the lives of our kids. And so this is um, really an honor for me to introduce him to you tonight. This is an important subject uh, on spiritual warfare. And uh, Dr. Siemens uh, comes well qualified uh, to talk about this. So just real quickly, he's got his uh, bachelor's degree from Asbury College, his MDiv from Asbury Theological Seminary, a THM from Princeton, and a PhD from Drew, and uh, has written some great books, Ministry in the Image of God, The Trinitarian Shape of Christian Service, uh, was one of my favorite books to read. And I think Trevor said that also, too. So. Uh, this is just a tremendous opportunity. We're deeply honored to bring Dr. Siemens uh, to you. Uh, and so a lot of times when I think about preaching on Sunday or on the weekend and uh, Trevor is preaching, we can, I, I can often hear his voice in what we prepare. And so um, this is a man that has greatly impacted the ministry of our church through the impact upon our lives. So. I want to pray for him and pray for our time tonight. We're going to use every minute to get into this important uh, topic, and I'm going to turn it over to him. Let's just pray right now from where we are. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful for your presence in our lives and the privilege that we have to to know you and to come to know you better. Uh, Lord, we're even reading right now. Many of us are reading in uh, the daily readings through our life journal or through word of God speak that the battles that we face are not human, but they're battles Lord through the, uh, that are spiritual battles. And so we want to come tonight, God, and learn from this wonderful man uh, who can help us better understand the kinds of things that the apostle Paul talked to us about. And so Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy spirit, would you come and manifest your presence Uh, Wherever we are tonight, however we're listening to this, and God, would you give us the capacity through your spirit to open our hearts and to dig deeper in our faith and to be open to learn new things about your work in the world and our roles as followers of Jesus. Would you just place again your anointing on your servant, Dr. Steve Siemens, as we welcome him to speak to us tonight. But we pray all these things together, Lord Jesus, in your powerful 
in your precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Put your hands together and welcome Dr. Siemens to us tonight. Great. Dr. Siemens, I'm gonna put the uh I'm gonna put the spotlight on you, sir. Okay. Okay. All right. Let me uh yeah. Yeah, just one moment. Let me put the spotlight on spotlight video on you. There we go. We're gonna pin you there. Oh, I did the wrong one. And you know what? There we go. All right. Now, if you can go ahead and do your screen share, and then we'll we'll hop on. We'll hop on in. You know, I think yeah. Just a second here. Okay. How's that? Nope. Not yet. Are you okay. seeing me? Yeah, we see you, but can you do the screen share again? Okay. Do you need to turn that back on, uh, Trevor? It looks it looks to me like I've got I'm seeing it on my screen, but nope. Okay, let's try that one more time, Dr. Siemens. Go ahead. Maybe I just need to just a second here. Yep. Let me do this. Uh, hey, Trevor, can you hear me? Yes, sir, I can. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I see it on the bottom of my screen. It's green that says share screen. Yeah, well, that would be to share your screen. Okay, I just want to make sure that that's not something. There we go. There Thank we you, go. Dr. There it is. Great. There we go. Now we're now we're looking at it, are we not? Yes, now we sir. got now, it. Now we are looking at it. We're good. Okay. Well, it's just a real joy for me to get to be with you all tonight and uh, to uh, connect with Trevor and Dale and so many others that I've had an opportunity to get to know over the years. And I started teaching a course on spiritual warfare in 1994. Yeah. So when Dale was a student, I wasn't teaching this course yet. I really wasn't right. trained. I really wasn't trained. Uh, I didn't go to school to learn to teach a course on spiritual warfare. But as a result of some experiences I had in my own spiritual life uh, and some experiences in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, uh, I began to see the need to equip our students in this particular area, this important area. So. I've been teaching this for a long time, and uh, it's sort of hard to know what to give you in one hour um, when I teach a whole course on this. So I've kind of just decided to, to focus on some key things that I've learned in the last 25 years or so as I've plunged into this area. Now, um, I sent Kathy the PowerPoints that I'm going to be using tonight, and I think she's going to uh, put those on a link so you guys can actually access these and have these. So uh, there's a lot of sort of information here, and this way you don't need to be all that worried about trying to get too much of this down. You can just kind of listen and then go back and get those. Um, but uh, I like this statement from Clinton Ardle, Arnold, who's written quite a bit about spiritual warfare and and he writes that spiritual warfare is an integral part of the entire Christian experience. Uh, it is a fact of life. 
to think that a Christian could avoid spiritual warfare is like imagining that a gardener could avoid dealing with weeds. I like that. Uh, it's, it's important that a gardener deals with weeds. Otherwise, the, the weeds can overrun the garden. Um, and as I like to tell students uh, when I teach this class, I believe that spiritual warfare should be one of the, you might just say, the strings on your ministry guitar. Uh, now, please don't make it the, the only string. Uh, there are some folks that go overboard on this subject, you know. Uh, sometimes I refer to them as warfare wackos. Um, I, I don't want you to become a warfare wacko, <laughs> uh, but it's important to have this string on your guitar because uh, without it, the guitar doesn't play as well. Uh, so um, with that in mind, let me just mention what I believe is the single best book on this subject, general book on this subject. And that is a, a book by Tom White uh, called The Believer's Guide to Spiritual Warfare. Uh, you can go to Amazon or, and, and, and get this book. Tom uh, is a friend of mine, and um, he's, he's had a lot of experience in this area. He actually wrote the book originally in 1990 and then rewrote it in 2011. So he's had years of experience, and his is a very balanced, biblical uh, approach to things that's, that's, that's not sensational, uh, but is so uh, pertinent, so helpful, so balanced, and so, so wise. So if you're going to read a book, this is the one that I have my students start with, and I, it is the one that I would encourage you to start with. Um, when we think about just some of the values of understanding the spiritual dimension, warfare dimension of the Christian life, uh, what's, what, what's the value of knowing something about spiritual warfare? Well, um, it's, it's important that we understand our enemy. Uh, we should not fear our enemy, but we should respect our enemy and understand how he works. Um, the wiles of the devil, Paul warns us in that Ephesians 6 passage, which is perhaps the, the quintessential spiritual warfare passage in the New Testament. And I understand some of you in your Bible reading program are actually going to be reading Ephesians 6 tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, how's, how's that for a God incidence? Uh, things that come together. And um, let me just tell you um, what the two major wiles of the devil are. And interestingly enough, they show up, they show up in Genesis chapter 3 in the temptation story when the serpent comes along to tempt Adam and Eve. They're both, they're both there. Um, he is a deceiver. And, he just, and when he deceives, he's just being who he is. And, of course, he deceives Adam and Eve. Uh, you won't die. 
if you eat that fruit. The reason why God doesn't want you to eat that fruit is because he knows if you do, you'll become like him. Um, he, he actually comes and out and out rot, lies about God, but he's a, he's a liar and he's a deceiver. And the other thing is that he's an accuser. He's an accuser. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see him actually accusing God, calling God's character into question. He's not doing this. He's telling you not to eat of that, not, not because he cares about you, because he just wants to keep you in your place. And so he is accusing God, isn't he? Later on, the next time he shows up uh, in the book of Job, he is accusing Job to God. So in Genesis 3, he accuses, uh, you might just say, God to man, and then he accuses man to God. He's an accuser. Uh, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, but the, but the, the devil is an accuser, isn't he? He's, he's an, the accuser of the brethren. And it's no wonder then that the, two, the first two armor parts that are mentioned in, Gen, in Ephesians 6 are, is the belt of truth, uh, which stands against the lies, the deceiving part of the death, and the second is the breastplate of righteousness, so that when we put on the righteousness of Christ, uh, I, we can't be accused, can we? Jesus stands in our place, and his righteousness uh, clothes our unrighteousness. So you see how Paul actually is actually, those armor parts are designed to get you to deal with the, the wiles of the devil. The, and then understanding how we battle. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that says that the, the weapons with which we fight or the weapons of our warfare are not worldly. We don't use, so, you know, if, if you were to ask me, well, what are our main weapons in spiritual warfare? Um, very counterintuitive, not what we would expect, but I would mention three. I would mention prayer. I would mention fasting. And I would mention worship and praise. Um, these are the weapons with which we battle, not the kind of weapons that the world battles with. But you see, it's important to understand how we battle and understanding the authority that we have in Christ. Um, Jesus, uh, Paul says that we've been raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places in, in Ephesians chapter 2. And many believers really have no understanding of this subject that's that somehow we are seated with him and he has given us authority in his name. Um, and the enemy wants us to, to, to be kept in the dark about the authority that we have in Christ. Uh, finally, uh, understanding the incredible greatness of Christ's redemptive work. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1 that, that those believers, one of the things that they would know what is the hope of your calling? So, but what, what is the incredible greatness? And uh, uh, that leads me, actually, uh, as I begin to think and talk with you about what I've learned about spiritual warfare, um, 
to, to, to actually uh, to be to talk about this, and that is that, that uh, what I've learned and experienced has actually caused my Jesus to get bigger. My Jesus to get bigger, you know. What is the what is what is the incredible power? What you know? I, I've got a bigger vision of Jesus as a result of uh, engaging in and learning about spiritual warfare over the last twenty five years. Um, you know that there was a there was a conference that was held in Nairobi, Kenya, with Christian leaders from all over the world. Uh, and a book was written called Deliver Us From Evil. So the book, the conference was about spiritual warfare, trying to get some agreement on things uh, at that conference. And one of the statements that came out of that was what, was, was what you see uh, on the screen there. Any teaching on spiritual conflict that leads us to fear the devil to such an extent that we lose our confidence in Christ's victory over him and in God's sovereign power to protect us, must be rejected. And uh, that is one of the concerns I have sometimes with people that get overly focused on the devil, and the devil made me do it. Uh, Actually, we need to stay focused on Christ and the victory that he has won. Uh, I love this statement from E. Stanley Jones, uh, he, he says that when Satan attacks you, command him in the name of Jesus to bend his neck. Because on the back of it, you'll find there's a nail-scarred footprint. Wow. Listen, he has trampled the enemy down. He has crushed the head of the serpent. Uh, it's that nail-scarred footprint and its power uh, to set us free, to forgive, to deliver, to, uh, you know, that needs to become and to be our focus. And uh, so I've learned, you know, my Jesus has actually gotten bigger. Uh, And it's been a challenge sometimes to keep Christ at the center in teaching on spiritual warfare. I want students to leave my class with a bigger Jesus, not necessarily a bigger devil. They need to understand their enemy, but not not focus on him. Um, Here again, I love this statement from uh, A.W. Tozer. Um, He writes, the scriptural way to see things is to set the Lord always before us. Put Christ in the center of our vision. And if Satan is lurking around, he will appear on the margins and be seen as but a shadow on the edge of the brightness. Don't you love that? A shadow on the edge of the brightness. It's always wrong to reverse this, to set Satan in the focus of our vision and push God out to the margin. Nothing but tragedy can come of such inversion. He is, he is so right. Uh, you know, uh, most, most of us know that uh, mail carriers 
And I guess there aren't that many these days that, that do it sort of the old fashioned way on foot, but mail carriers generally would carry with them a little, you know, can of mace or something like that. So that if a dog, uh, an angry barking dog or a kind of a rabid dog would, you know, uh, attack them, uh, they could pull that can of mace out and spray that dog. And usually the dog would whimper and, 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 and run off. And, uh, uh, that's what that can of mace is for, you know, to protect the mail carrier. But, uh, if, if, if you had a mail carrier, you know, who sprayed some mace in the face of a dog and, uh, and, and thought to himself, you know, that's really cool. What I just did. I sure, I sure took care of that dog. And so instead of, you know, focusing on delivering the mail, the mail carrier went around looking for angry dogs to spray mace in the face of. Well, we'd say that mail carrier has a problem. (laughs) And uh, now, you know, if, if the mail carrier runs into a dog, he just take, he, he, you see, our, the, the, the purpose of a mail carrier is to deliver the mail, not to spray mace in the face of dog, angry dogs. The purpose of the church, in a sense, we are called, in a, in a sense, to build, aren't we? In the process of building, there are times when we, when we have to, bit, to battle, but the focus needs to be on the building, as it were, just like Nehemiah, you know, rebuilding the walls. And then when some, sometimes the enemies came along, they, uh, you know, they had to, you know, have a, have like a shield in one hand and a brick in the other, but the focus needs to stay. We need to stay focused on Christ. Um, C.S. Lewis is known for uh, a, a statement that he made about spiritual warfare and, and, Focusing on the devil in his book, The Screwtape Letters, which is a great study of temptation. Yeah. And uh, he, he said there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One, he said, is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is, is to believe in and feel an unhealthy interest in them. Uh, they themselves are equally pleased by both errors. The devils don't really care. And hail a materialist, that is someone that basically denies that there's even a spiritual realm and everything can be reduced to what we can grasp with our five senses, the material world, or a magician uh, who goes to the other extreme and spends all their time trying to manipulate uh, the spirit world. They, they, they're, they're, they're equally pleased by both errors. Well, uh, to me, uh, in spiritual warfare, we, we don't want to be a materialist or a magician. We, we want to somehow, uh, you know, live into this and learn about this in such a way that we don't disbelieve, neither do we fall into having an unhealthy interest in and focus on the devil. So um, the first thing I've tried to emphasize here is it's important to keep Christ at the center and focus, uh, and make, keep our focus on Christ. 
And um, I want to talk now, uh, because not only should Christ be at the center, but uh, he is a pattern for us in how we should go about spiritual warfare. It, how did Jesus, how did Jesus overcome the devil? Most everyone agrees that the victory that was won over sin and death and evil was accomplished on the cross. Uh, Michael Green, uh, an Anglican bishop, wrote a book called I Believe in Satan's Downfall, and he says Christ is the conqueror over all the powers of the enemy, and on the cross he uh, inflicted such a crushing defeat on the devil that whenever his name is named in faith, Satan is bound to flee. So the, 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 the victory that was won, oh, the, the, you might just say the, 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 the final victory, the one that determines the ultimate outcome of the war, kind of like the D-Day did in World War II, was won on the cross. Um, the writer of the book of Hebrews alludes to that in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those whose lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Notice it was through his death that he destroyed the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil. So the cross is is a key in understanding how we go about spiritual warfare and the victory that was won on the cross. Paul Hebert, uh, a uh, a well-known Christian missiologist and anthropologist says, if our understanding of spiritual warfare doesn't make sense of the cross, then it is wrong. Mm. Then it is wrong. Uh, So then that raises the question, uh, how, how does Jesus win the victory on the cross? What is, how does he accomplish this? Here's a passage in Colossians chapter 2 that I think uh, can help us understand and grasp how that victory was won. Now, you'll notice the last sentence of of these verses uh, in Colossians 2, the last sentence really focuses on the victory that he won. It's one of the clearest expressions in the whole New Testament of the, of, the, of the victory that Jesus wins. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. These are, he's referring here not to human rulers and authorities primarily, but spiritual principalities and powers, some of the translations say, and made, so he disarmed them and made a public spectac- example of them and triumphed over them on the cross. So this is a clear expression of the victory that was won But back up for a minute, back up for a minute and look at what, where it starts. Because I think what goes before that sentence tells us how he won the victory. Notice it says he forgave all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. One biblical commentator, 
uh, uh, picks up on this and, and, he, and he stresses that what you see in this passage is that it is forgiveness, as it were, the forgiveness that is won on the cross that leads to freedom. On the cross, uh, he writes, the certificate of indebtedness is erased. On the cross, of the, the powers and principalities are disempowered. Consequently, he writes, where there is forgiveness of sins, there is freedom from the powers and principalities. There is life and salvation. See this pattern that, it, that forgiveness and the establishing of forgiveness is what leads to freedom. And um, uh, here are a whole lot of passages where you see the same basic kind of pattern unfolding. And uh, in Galatians 1.4, Paul talks about Jesus who gave himself for our sins. Notice he focuses on his work for our sins to set us free from the present evil age. Again, that similar pattern. And so if you think about what Jesus did on the cross in terms of forgiveness. Uh, Paul, in a sense, uh, goes to considerable length and depth here to unpack this, doesn't he? He says he erased the record. Uh, the, the Greek word there is chirographon. Uh, uh, this was a legal document a certificate of indebtedness. Someone could, you know, literally take you to court if you hadn't paid them. If, if you know, there's a, it's like a contract here. And um, so, what was the what was the certificate of indebtedness? Well, uh, you and I owed God a great IOU for the fact of sin. If our trespasses had created an indebtedness to God, okay? But Jesus on the cross erased that record. Literally that word erase there is, you know, uh, make it completely go away. I, uh, I don't know if any of you remember uh, uh, that toy that my kids had an Etch-A-Sketch and, you know, you could write and draw with that thing, and then you just shook it a little bit, and everything was gone. Well, it, in a sense, Jesus, Jesus erased it, took it away. It's not, it's not there anymore. He, he set it aside, says Paul, you know. And finally, he nailed it to the cross. Uh, and as a result of that work in taking away the record, see, Satan had something that he could, in a sense, use on us to accuse us. That's been taken away. The rights that he had over us have been taken away by what Jesus did on the cross. Um, In that wonderful hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, um, I love that verse that, kind of captures this so wonderfully. Uh, I think it's the second verse. My, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, 
but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. So, um, how does he win the victory? Uh, it's, it, he doesn't go directly after the devil, does he? It's not a direct frontal attack. But he takes away that which the devil is able to use against us. See, God makes the rules of the spiritual universe. The devil doesn't make the rules. He has to, he has to play by God's rules. But, but Jesus, praise God, has taken away the very thing that he had against us. God, you said the wages of sin is death. Well, so the enemy can say, this person has sinned. They deserve to die. God, you said it. you got to do it. You see, on the cross, God steps in and takes the payment, takes the, the uh, bears in his own body our sins uh, and establishes. And so it's interesting. St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, uh, says this, uh, that it pleased God that for the sake of rescuing us from the power of the devil, the devil should be overcome not by power, but by justice. Um, See, this is how God did it. Um, I don't know if you have, uh, uh, if you're familiar with, I think most of us are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia. They're my favorite children's books, but they're not just for children. They're for all of us. Or maybe you've seen the movie, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or read that one book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But uh, C.S. Lewis in these children's books, and particularly in this book, uh, frames the story this way and gets it right. Uh, You you remember that Edmund, one of the four children, uh, gets uh, tricked by the white witch. She's the one that's ruling the land of Narnia, and he gets transported into Narnia through that wardrobe, and... um, she kind of butters him up and says he's better than the other kids and invites him to eat the, eat the, the Turkish delight. <laughs> there you see him uh, eating the Turkish delight. And uh, she says, you know, you're the one that ought to be the king, not your older brother. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, as a result of this act, and later on he betrays his own brothers and sisters, he becomes progressively, as the story goes on, the slave of the white witch. And things are pretty bad for Edmund. You see him there, he's tied up, and he's at a, he's on a, at a tree there, and under the control of the white witch and her evil forces. And then, of course, Aslan shows up in Narnia, because he's the rightful ruler, and um, 
as a result, some of his forces come and they, they, uh, uh, they basically get Edwin, Edmund set free and they bring him back to the, to the camp and he's reunited with his uh, two sisters and his brother. Um, but you know, it's interesting, uh, not too long after he's been reunited with them, the white witch, she has the gall, she has the boldness and the brazenness just to march right into the enemy camp, the camp of Aslan. Uh, and she says, uh, she appeals to something called the deep magic. And she says, you have a traitor there, Aslan. And you know that every traitor belongs to me uh, as my lawful prey. And that for every treachery, I have a right to a kill. Now, there are those in Aslan's camp that just say, that, 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 that say, Aslan, you're, you got more power, you, you're stronger than, just take her out. Shut her up. What right does she have? But you know, Aslan does not argue with her. See, she's playing by the rules that have been built into this land of Narnia. And you remember that... Uh, he does not disagree with what she said. And she and Aslan, the Lion King, they, they have a private conversation. In the, they go into the tent. There you see this, the children sort of watching this unfold. But they go into the tent, and somehow when they come out, the, the White Witch and Aslan have kind of come to an agreement about something. And you know what happens if you know the story that that night uh, Aslan goes out into the night and he turns himself over to the white witch. And uh, as a result of that, they, he's put on that stone table and they shave his beard and they, well, he's killed. And of course the two girls, uh, Susan and Lucy, they're just so distraught because they kind of watch this unfold from afar and they, and they come upon the dead body of Aslan, their friend, the Lion King. And, and then amazingly, he comes back to life. And Susan says to him, uh, says to him, but I don't understand how could that happen? Uh, and there's, there's these famous words. Uh, she knew about the deep magic, but there was a deeper magic. If she had looked back even farther, she would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. And as a result of that, Aslan is able to free Edmund now for good. Because you see, she has no claim on him anymore. Because 
that willing victim has been killed in a traitor's stead. But notice here that he won the victory, in a sense, not by power, but by justice. Uh, now, this, 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 folks, has important implications for spiritual warfare. Uh, important implications. First of all, uh, we need to be careful not to give the devil more than he deserves, more due than he deserves. There's a sense in which when you directly, you spend all your time directly confronting the devil, going after the devil, focusing on the devil, you're, you're, you're making the devil too big. He's just one of God's creatures, isn't he? The serpent was wiser than any of the creatures that the Lord God had made. And the devil has to play by the same, by the rules that God makes. Uh, so um, we, we take him seriously, but we don't make him God or put him on a par with God. Uh, that's not what Jesus did. He didn't go directly after him and confront him directly, but in a sense, indirectly. And what this means for us now, as, you, as I begin to, to take this, the, what we've seen, the way Jesus wins the battle in terms of how this affects the way we go about spiritual warfare, is that the primary focus of both individual, personal spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare, you know, as, as it affects you in your own personal life and communal or corporate spiritual warfare. Hmm. I'm thinking there of warfare in relationship to families and, and corporate entities like churches and cities and even nations, okay? But whether either way, whether it's individual, personal, or communal corporate, uh, the primary focus needs to be on dealing with issues related to sin not directly confronting the demonic. That's what Jesus did. He went after the issue related to sin, the need for forgiveness and, you know, wiping that away. Uh, and so in our practice of spiritual warfare, we, uh, in a sense, should go and do likewise. Uh, I'm not saying there's ne never a place for directly confronting the demonic there is but that's not that's not the primary thing so where you see and and where you see evidence of demonic activity you might just say effects um, look for its causes in sin and sin issues personal sin communal sin social sin generational sin, and make that your primary focus. Uh, that's how Jesus did it. That's mm -hmm. how we should go about doing it as well. Wow. In the lives of believers, see, it is, it is the areas of unrighteousness where we are most vulnerable to Satan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom White says, our struggles trace 
to the unsanctified self. And then he breaks that down. Those parts of us not yielded to the spirit or healed by grace. So if you've got some sin pattern in your life, some issue, that's where the enemy, you're most vulnerable to his, to his attacks. He's got, a, he's got some ground and some access. Why? Because in a sense, you've given it to him. Or areas in our lives that need healing. You know, you may have an issue, a deep issue with shame, for example, in your life, rooted in some very painful childhood experiences. Maybe you were verbally or physically or sexually abused. And uh, that, that wound, as it were, the enemy... He can come along and, and you might just say pile on the shame that's already there as a result of that. Or the anger, the unresolved anger in your heart that's there. Or the fear that's there. These oftentimes would be psychological uh, kinds of issues uh, that have resulted from that experience. But the enemy, he's going to work, you see, Those are the areas where you're most vulnerable to to Satan. There's a verse of scripture, I think, that, you know, captures this pretty well. It's in Ephesians 4. Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. Interesting. He's saying that unresolved anger, and by the way, he doesn't say don't be angry, mm-hmm. but don't sin in your anger. You know, there's, there's, there's times when we need to be angry and own the fact that we're angry. Um, give it to the Lord to help us deal with it so it doesn't become, you know, a settled disposition in our heart. It doesn't become something, a brooding uh, lead to bitterness and unforgiveness or just whatever you see. But you see that you see how Paul understands that when you uh, let anger fester and, and it's unresolved, don't give the devil a foothold. That, the, the word for foothold there is actually has to is a spatial word. It's like you're making room for the devil. You're giving him, you see. So in the lives of, of believers, uh, Oftentimes, these are the areas, oftentimes, as I've prayed with people over the years, they've come with me uh, feeling like they're under spiritual attack. or fee- But oftentimes, we, we fo- I end up focusing on these kinds of issues with them. Uh, I'm always looking for the thing that, may have, that, that's, that gives the enemy access, as it were. Um, you, you know... Um, this is true in, in, uh, in an area of ministry, in, in the area of deliverance ministry as well. Mm-hmm. Something that the Lord has led me into over the years from time to time, uh, where uh, instead, I, we don't use the language of demon possession, but demonization, which just basically has to do with uh, things that have given demons a, uh, some access to your life to a point that they they can exercise 
significant levels of control and influence, more so than just sort of, you know, might just say tempting you from the outside. It's like they kind of have an internal grip. But what, what was it that gave them the right to be there? That's the, you know, I'm always looking for that. My, um, my, one of my mentors in this whole area, a man named Charles Kraft, often says that demons are like rats. Mm-hmm. And rats are attracted to garbage. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so if you're dealing with someone that's feeling overwhelmed with rats, uh, don't, don't, sh- don't just scream at the rats and holler at the rats and tell the rats to go away. No, deal with the garbage. Mm-hmm. Focus on the garbage. Because if you do that, if you get rid of the garbage, guess what? The rats will go away. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not that stupid. You know, they, they'll go looking for something to eat somewhere else, you see. And so that, that needs to be the, the focus. By the way, some of the things that can really uh, allow Satan to get significant access to us the three major causes of demonization, persistent sin. I'm talking, underscore the word persistent there, but it's, but a persistent sin pattern. Uh, the victimizing sins of others, the different kinds of abuse uh, that I mentioned, like physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, and even spiritual abuse. Uh, and finally, uh, there's the impact of generational sin. Uh, the sins of the fathers being sort of passed down. There's sort of setting us up uh, just as we understand genetically and physically, we can inherit some things uh, that that create physical weaknesses in us. So there's room that sometimes our parents and our grandparents give to the devil that opens some doors and, um, you know, creates some difficulties in our lives as well. And the same holds true in corporate or strategic level spiritual. Uh, so uh, right now, right now, we as a country are in the throes of, of racial tensions. And uh, this is something that we as Americans have struggled with ever since, well, who knows when. And you have to think that the sins people call slavery America's original sin, but those things that have been done and the injustices that have been committed, those things you see uh, have set us up for racial tension and racial conflict in our society today. That's not so much a demon that needs to be cast out, but something needs to be done. Uh, uh, Christians need to stand in and repent on behalf of this nation. That sin needs to be acknowledged and, and dealt with, okay? Uh, so you see, we're looking at for sin issues primarily, prim, primarily in, this, in, in this approach mm-hmm. and dealing with that, uh, not necessarily focusing on the rats primarily, Although there does come a time sometime when you need to say, leave. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't have a right to be here. You've got to leave now. But the rats, uh, 
No, the garbage is the thing we focus on. Uh, mm -hmm. Real quickly, the key to, to spiritual protection, this is another thing that I've learned, is, um, is really quite simple. It's, it's abiding in Christ. Psalm 91 1 uh, is, is uh, one of the premier spiritual warfare psalms in the, in the Psalter, in the Bible. Somebody said, in, a, in the face of a crisis, dial 911. And there you have it, Psalm 911. You who live in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, and this psalm goes on to talk about, you know, uh, he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. And then it goes on to talk about, you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence, and a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Uh, if you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great. You see, but the focus of this psalm is on that place of abiding in the shelter of the Almighty where we hear the Lord say, uh, I will rescue him, I will protect him because he knows my name. There you have it. Verse 10, sort of summarize it. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you. No scourge come near your tent. Uh, so um, the key to spiritual protection, you know, is 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 not, you know, focusing on your enemies outside of yourself as much as focusing on that shelter, that dwelling place of the Most High, and keeping yourself in that place, resting in the shadow of the Almighty. And, you know, when you think about it, uh, the, the, the regular practice of spiritual disciplines and for those of us that are Wesleyans, we talk a lot about the means of grace, don't we? Mm -hmm. These are these are simply ways in which we they're they're, they're different ways in which we abide. They, they're, they're, Jesus says, "You want to abide in me? Well, do these things." So uh, you know, various forms of prayer, a, a disciplined life of prayer, searching the scriptures. Uh, attendance at the Lord's Supper, fasting, Christian conferencing, or he's talking there about small group fellowship and uh, uh, being a part, I'm a part of a Wesleyan band with three other men, and every Thursday we check in with each other and, and uh, hold each other accountable and pray for each other. And that is a means, that's a means of abiding, you see. Uh, so, if, do you want more spiritual protection? Well, this is what you need to do, to focus on. In defense. Uh, do you want Do you want more spiritual protection? Grow Grow in holiness, Christ likeness. How do you do that? Deal with unresolved sin and unhealed hurts, and walk in obedience. Uh, these are really the keys to uh, 
protection, spiritual protection. It's not rocket science, is it? It's, it's, it's really basic Christian discipleship kinds of things that are the key here. And a place of immunity for the believer. Uh, a spiritual fortress in Christ that protects us from the attacks of the devil. For those who abide in the stronghold of God, the onslaught of the wicked does not touch them. Here in this dwelling with the Almighty, we are hidden from the effects of the accuser's tongue. We're sheltered from the assignment of the destroyer. The scripture says he shielded them and cared for them, guarding them as the apple of his eye. Have you noticed, if you've read in the Old Testament, uh, you see this particularly in places like the book of Judges, that when the people are being faithful to God, following his ways, walking staying close to the Lord, they've got spiritual protection from their enemies. As soon as they turn away and start worshiping the other gods of the culture, the next thing you know, the Midianites or the Philistines or the Amorites or the whatever, you know, the the, the enemies of Israel, the first thing that goes when they turn away from the place of immunity, from, from the shadow of the Almighty, they lose their spiritual protection. And then they're dealing with all these enemies, Mm. Uh, that's the pattern, you see. Uh, well, we do have authority in Christ. This is something that uh, I've been learning about a lot about over the years, something that we don't talk much about or teach much about in the church. Uh, here are some scriptures where Jesus does, in fact, give us authority to forgive sins, to heal, to cast out evil spirits, to bind and to loose, to, to, to ask for anything in the name of Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me, therefore go. And he gives us uh, authority. Um, as we sit with him, raised up with him, seated with him in the heavenly places, there's a sense in which we do our spiritual warfare from that position of authority. And uh, we go forth in his name. Uh, and I believe that spiritual authority is, is really significant, important to understand. Uh, and I'm following a little bit from Tom White here. We've talked a lot about the battle from within, you might say, and how oftentimes it's our areas of unrighteousness in us. But there are times, there are times when, in a sense, it's really not about you in the sense that you are, in fact, walking with the Lord. Uh, but there are, there are times when flaming arrows, you know, uh, it just seemed like they kind of come out of the blue. And the next thing you know, you're, find, you're finding yourself sort of maybe paralyzed with fear or doubt or, you know, you're, 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 your mind's bombarded with maybe some some uh, sexually impure thoughts and and you say well, where did that come from it's like you kind of you kind of know when these kind of flaming arrows come come in paul talks about this in ephesians 6 you know the shield of faith take the shield of faith uh, but um, this is where we need to take authority 
and stand up and rise up and say, uh, no, you will not uh, against the, the, those arrows that are coming. Or sometimes yeah, an external attack comes through a person or a place. You ever gone somewhere, you know, where you just sort of felt like there was a lot of evil? And maybe you found out why later on, or maybe you knew why. Maybe that was a place where there was a lot of violence that had been done, or there was a lot of occult kinds of practices going on there. And, uh, you know, uh, you just, you know, found yourself maybe six or eight hours later feeling sort of overwhelmed and uh, confused or doubting and just, you know, uh, another place where we need to sort of take authority, rise up. Sometimes a person can, can, can be the, you might just say, the means through which you get an, an attack. And then there are times, you know, when you are advanced, you're, you're working to advance the kingdom of God. The enemy doesn't seem to care that much if we maintain ground. But when you start trying to take ground, you might just say when you start going into the raiding the enemy's camp, when you start pushing into territory that he has sort of had claim on and, uh, and, uh, or people that he's, and you start working, you'll find yourself, uh, you'll find yourself some from time to time uh, under attack. You'll, you, you, you'll, you'll get a pushback. Uh, and this is where, the authority that we have in Christ becomes really important. Uh, my friend Charles Kraft taught me a little prayer to pray when I'm when I'm uh, in a situation where I'm not exactly sure. You know, where is this coming from? Because sometimes I'm not really sure. Is this just my own? You know, self talk. Is this because I just ate too much pizza last night, Lord? Is it, you know, what? where's this coming from? Uh, but if I kind of have a sense that maybe there's something more direct about that, this that's when I pray this prayer. If this is from the enemy, I take authority in Jesus' name, and I command you to stop me. You know? There are times like Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings, we just, we just need to rise up, don't we, and just to say, you shall not pass. You're not going to have my children. I come against this in the name of Jesus. So there are those times when we need to directly, on the basis of what Jesus has done, say no more. We take authority in Jesus' name. Well, uh, Trevor, I think it's time for Q&A. Uh, I probably opened up, touched upon a lot of things here, haven't gone very deep on any of them, but maybe enough to at least get us talking about some things that folks will be interested in. Yeah, so great. Dale, you still, we lost Dale halfway through and he hopped back on on his iPad. Pastor Dale, you with us? Yeah, this is just fantastic. And, you know, Steve, in a way we've done you a disservice because uh, what you normally teach across a whole semester, we're going to give you about an hour and five minutes. So that, that's not really fair. Uh, there were some great uh, observations tonight 
around uh, the importance of prayer, the importance of taking authority, uh, the importance of um, spiritual strongholds, all these kinds of things. Trevor, did we have some of the tracking on some of the questions? I would love to hear Steve answer some questions around that kind of thing. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, a lot of different stuff. Um, you know, I'll start. I'm going to lead off with a question, if that's okay. Great. Um, so, uh, you, you know, I said this to Dr. Steve, Dr. Stevens privately before everyone jumped on. His teaching on all this stuff is one of the main reasons uh, why I um, why I attended Asbury Seminary, just because of uh, just wise teaching on how to engage in this stuff in a helpful way, not to overemphasize or underemphasize. It's just really, really helpful. And um, uh, Dr. Ste- Dr. Stevens has a book all, as well as one that Dale mentioned in the introduction called Wounds That Heal and talking about the cross and how it can bring heal, not just forgiveness to us, but healing to us for where we've been wounded. And uh, I thought that was pretty profound, Dr. Steve- Dr. Stevens, when you um, were talking about how sometimes an undealt with part of our character or our heart or our experience might be, um, you know, might be a way for us to get attacked or to experience some stuff like this. Do you want to expand upon that just a little bit more about how can we pursue um, some issues in our own, in our own life and our own growth that might be an open door, so to say? Yeah. Well, um, I, I would encourage you just, or anyone just to begin by, by praying and saying, uh, uh, Lord, I want more of you. And Holy Spirit, yeah, you're the one that guides us and leads us into all truth. And you're the one that convicts of sin. What's, what is it in my life right now that you want to work on? What area do you want to work on? Where do you want to put your finger? Now, you know, it's, hey, most of us are, uh, we could say, well, there's, there's, probably about 20 areas that need working on. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm into that. You, you know, um, but just uh, more practically, just say, Lord, you know where to start this. And uh, so I'm just asking you to work on, to show me, to begin to show me what you want, what, what area you want to touch upon, and then how you want to help me get freedom from that area or get healing in that area, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, if you'll pray and if you'll ask the Lord to lead you, and if you'll stay with it, because, you know, the Lord doesn't just, it's not like a genie or something, you know, it's not, it, I think most of the time the Lord, it's little by little, mm-hmm. as I pray, the Lord, it's like peeling one one sort of tearful layer at a time, and he shows me something, and then that leads to something else, and that leads, and actually, sometimes the thing that I thought was really the problem is actually not the real problem, it's over here, and, but it's the spirit that guides me and leads me into all truth, and if you'll pray that prayer, you know, I think that's a prayer according to God's will. I think the Lord loves it when we pray, uh, as, as, as we read at the end of the 139th Psalm, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Hmm. 
And one way you might want to start this, you know, you know, talking to you and you came to me and said, well, uh, uh, where do I need to start? I, I might say, what are the things that you get angry about? What are the things uh, that you get, you're fearful about? Hmm. And what are the things that you get discouraged or down about or depressed about? And that might lead me to, 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 to help you begin to focus on something, you know, uh, where the Lord might want to begin to do some work on you. What's that fear really about? And, wow. you know, and it, uh, well, the Lord may have to take you back to some painful places in your life where, you know, you experience fear in a really profound way, maybe as a little child or something. And, you know, it's just, but I think if we'll pray and ask the Lord to, to kind of lead us and guide us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also would say, Trevor, I think it's important if you, if you care enough to change that you can talk to someone about it mm-hmm. and confess it to someone. Mm-hmm. That's why that band group that I'm in is so important and helpful is, you know, we, you know, if you're still hiding uh, some sin pattern in your life or some issue in your life, and you're not willing, and you, you can't talk to everybody and anybody, but ask the Lord to give you somebody that you can talk with. And because, you know, when you bring it out, uh, in the open, uh, you get it out into the light, mm-hmm. and the enemy loves the darkness. Mm. He wants to keep things un- un- under the table, you might say, underneath the rug. Mm-hmm. So those that's just a, maybe how I would respond to your question. Great. Yeah, those three things that you said to, of self-reflection of what makes me angry, yeah. what makes me afraid, what makes me down, sad, or depressed, those three questions are, that's golden. And to prayerfully consider those with the Lord. Yeah, it's kind of like mad, 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 sad, or glad, mm-hmm. and, and, and I would say, and a frad, afraid, <laughs> to make it rhyme, you know. Yeah. What am I mad about? Sad about? Maybe glad about? That's you know that's that's probably good. But but the yeah. one about fear, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think that that's profound. The connection to inner healing. Yes. To, as a means of spiritual warfare, and I remember in, in our class, you you know, we'll move on to a different kind of category because we have a lot to cover here. But I I just remember you saying that you stumbled upon a lot of this not because you're interested in the devil, but because you're interested in helping people find healing and inner healing. And this is what led to some of this. Sometimes you have to deal with these things. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got into this. trying to help people with emotional issues. And every so often we just bumped into the, the darkness and the demonic in such a way we had to deal with it. But yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Okay. We're going to, we're going to shift from uh, inner dynamics and emotions and all that stuff. We're going to shift to big picture philosophical type of stuff. We had a question from uh, James. Thanks, James, for your question. Uh, he, he, basically, he basically, I'm going to paraphrase our friend James. 
he was asking about, we know in scripture, the devil's called, uh, Jesus refers to him as the ruler of this world. Yeah. And so um, he said, kind of instead of blaming God for evil that occurs, um, can we be assured that God takes on the responsibility of the evil that occurs, therefore bringing good out of it? Kind of like, um, it's, you know, it's, not, it's a whole idea of uh, how Jesus said uh, he called the enemy the ruler of this world. So that doesn't necessarily mean, well, everything is in God's will and God's controlling everything, but there's another force at work and another actor at work in the world. So how, in just a brief moment, I mean, I know we spent, we've spent a lot of time on this In just a brief moment, how would you talk about the concepts of spiritual warfare in a world of suffering and hurt and pain where we had no, where the devil's acting and God is acting at the same time? Yeah. So, you know, when, when I think about uh, sin and evil in the world, you know, it seems like there's, there's a number of different, you might just say, causalities that you kind of have to take into account. There's uh, Satan's, there's Satan's rage, you might say. And so there are some things that are, that are the result of that, uh, which is kind of what the spiritual warfare piece focuses on. There's also human freedom and, and, and human evil freedom that's, you know, human beings do terrible things to other human beings. Okay. Uh, then there's, then there's, um, creations grown in Romans eight, you know, the, uh, Paul says that all creation groans and travail and so yeah. natural disasters like earthquakes and, uh, you know, and, uh, tsunamis and things like that. They're a result of the fact that the, the creation is groaning in travail. It's been affected by sin. Uh, so we have to take into account, you know, you might just say that nature's grown, Satan's rage, God's sovereignty and God's, and there are times when God is acts sovereignly, God's, God's involved in judgment, in judging uh, sin and evil in the world. And, uh, and then there's human, the human. So it makes, it makes you very humble as you try to sort of discern what's going on here, Lord. And, um, and oftentimes, God even uses Satan, in a sense, as, as, as his instrument. The scripture says he takes the wrath of man and uses it to praise him. But he even makes, you know, what, so what, what, what Joseph's brothers did to him was meant for evil. And we don't know directly about what part Satan played in that, but I, but I think their rage and their hatred of their brother certainly gave him some something to latch on to, some Velcro to cling to, to push, you know. But then God actually was kind of using that whole thing because he really wanted his people down in Egypt so they could grow as a nation. And, and he, worked it for, he worked it for good, didn't he, for the salvation of many. It's true. Yeah. But it's complicated, and and it, and it makes me want to just be kind of careful that I don't too quickly and casually uh, get on my soapbox or just pontificate and say, "Well, this is because of that." Yeah, you know. Lord knows we have enough of that in the world. I appreciate yeah. I appreciate somebody going. You know, things are a little bit more complex. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, we had two questions um, about you brought up the concept of generational sin, of yeah. individual sin, yeah. 
communal sin, societal sin, generational sin. Yeah. Um, two people had questions about that. Okay. Um, one was, how does that work in the concept of like sins from generations before connected to us? What does that look like when scripture and other places has talked about that the sins of the father is not passed down, but yet there's still this concept in, this, in the Bible. Yeah. And then, so tied into that is, so just on a, a philosophical sense, talk to us about that. And then another person asked a practical question of how do I, I pray about that? Okay. All right. Uh, so it, it's, it, I think that this, 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 the teaching of scripture is clear that God is not going to, in a sense, send anyone to hell for the sins of their parents or grandparents, you know, but their own sins are, are what they're, they're going to be held accountable to. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference. He's not going to hold you guilty mm-hmm. for the fact that your, your father was, let's just say, a womanizer and was unfaithful repeatedly. And maybe he had a father that was like that too. So there's been the, the sexual sin in this family and God's not going to hold me accountable for, for that in terms of holding me guilty for that. But there are consequences that can get passed down to me, uh, which is different than guilt. And, and, and in a sense, we, we understand that individually, too, in the sense that uh, if you, let's just say you're, you're smoking uh, two packs of cigarettes a day and you come to the Lord and you ask him to forgive you for basically making a false God out of cigarettes and nicotine, looking to that. So you, 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 you come to him for forgiveness and maybe you even get set free from uh, that habit. Wonderfully, God gives you grace, but there, there may be consequences you may end up with lung cancer or, you know, emphysema or some kind of, that's not going to necessarily go away. Even though the guilt of that has been taken care of, the mm-hmm. consequences remain. And so there, there, there are, there are sin, there are consequences to generational sin that, you know, that sort of predisposes, you might, it sets you up for uh, certain, certain things. So if there's been unfaithfulness in this family for, you may find yourself uh, struggling with that. It's almost like you're, you, you didn't get a level playing field on that one because of things that had happened before. So it's an uphill climb for you. Now, uh, someone asked about how do you pray? Well, I think I believe that on the cross, Jesus not only bore my sin, my personal sin, but he also bore the curse for generational sin. Mm-hmm. And there's a verse in 1 Peter 1.18 that I love that says that Christ redeemed us from the feudal ways of our ancestors, not with silver and gold, but with his precious blood. And so what I would say is 
what you need to do in prayer is to is to own that sin that's been in your you might just say that's been in your family you know mm-hmm. uh, maybe maybe it's ambition mm. maybe it's you know maybe it's greed maybe you know there's just a lot of things that okay <laughs> so you need to repent of that on and just say on I just I just repent of my sin in that area, but also repent on behalf of my ancestors, and I renounce that sin. I renounce that sin in Jesus' name, and I place the cross as a boundary between myself and my ancestors. Wow. So that the spiritual consequences uh, stop there, you might say. Mm-hmm. The cross is a boundary uh, having to do with the spiritual consequences. Now, you know, physical consequences, other kinds of things, like I said, you know, uh, doesn't necessarily make all that go away, but that's how I would pray. And that's how I pray with people uh, sometimes over generational sin. And I found myself, frankly, in my even in the last years, finding myself uh, as I've struggled, you know, uh, recently with a kind of an irrational fear uh, in my life, kind of related to travel. And <laughs> my wife would, you know, joke about it. She'd say, "You're Steve. You're you're, you're like Henny Penny or something. You why do you worry?" And I began to pray about that. I said, "Lord, what what's going on here?" And the Lord began to, to, to you know, uh, remind me of some things about my father and my grandmother and the, and some of those. It's like there's been this fear that's kind of, so I've, I've found myself not just praying about my own fears and my un- inability and unwillingness to trust God sometimes, but about that as well, asking the Lord, you know, to set us free from that. Mm -hmm. That's a short answer. No, that's great. That's great. Um, Let's see here. We, we may have time for one more. A lot of the questions, a lot of you guys asked, um, you would ask right as Dr. Seamus was about to address it. And so that's fantastic. If you've been following in the chat, many of the things you guys have asked, um, he did address. So I encourage you to go back and take a listen. Um, Let's see here. What time we got? Um, I'm trying to find one that maybe could take a little bit of a shorter answer, but this is such a complex topic. I might, I might want to call it while we're ahead instead of going over. How about we do that? Um, so uh, we're, we're going to close out here. We're going to pass it to Pastor Dale in just a second, but can we all express our gratitude for Dr. Siemens? Yeah. Hand clap on the screen. Hey, uh, and uh, Trevor. Yes, sir. Um, I, can I just share uh, I just I, I shared with you earlier today the scripture that I read this morning, mm-hmm. uh, and I just feel like I want to read this uh, over you all uh, and, and claim this and kind of claim this as a promise and as a word for you and for me as well. Uh, it's in the, the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 33, verse 29, uh, and it says, um, 
it's talking about the Lord. And it says, he is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Hmm. Your enemies will cower before you and you will trample down their high places. Uh, so just receive that, brothers and sisters. Praise God. Receive that, that, that he, he is your shield. The Lord is your strength and your shield. So fear not. Praise God. And your glorious sword, he is the sword. Take the sword of the Spirit, but it's, it's, it's the Lord himself who, who fights for us. Mm-hmm. And your enemies will cower before you. And you will trample down their high places. And so, Lord, we just uh, receive this as your word to us today. And uh, I pray for these folks and the church that they would live into this and we would live into this and know it to be true in our lives in Jesus name. Praise God. Thank you, Dr. Siemens. It's so funny that you did that because I had just text uh, Trevor and said, I'm going to have him pray for us. So you went ahead and did that. Praise God for that. And then um, Trevor, I want to ask you to make sure this happens too. If, if, uh, Steve, if you were to suggest to us the next uh, good book that we would want, if we want to move forward in this area, I know you mentioned Charles Craft. I remember reading years ago Charles Charles Craft's book Christianity with Power. Yeah, and like I said, the book I mentioned at the beginning by Tom White, The Believer's Guide to Spiritual Warfare. Great. That is that is a great book, folks. And I, you know, I can't recommend it highly enough as being balanced and, 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 uh, and, and biblically rooted and coming out of a man who, who's been involved in this kind of thing for 40 years. Great. You know, so that's the book I would say, get uh, the Believer's Guide to Spiritual Warfare by Tom so, Warren. There it is. I knew we were going to get that question. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we love you, and we're so grateful for your ministry to us. This was fantastic tonight. Right. And you're welcome to, uh, to get that PowerPoint um, yep. off the, the, the website or whatever, the, and uh, get, that'll give you all that information uh, for you, and you can have it. You can print that out, and you've got, you've got it. Yep. Thanks okay, so much. Great, great yep, to be yep. with you. Yeah, great to be with you too, Dr. Siemens. We'll go ahead and post uh, the video for this on our website, on YouTube, and our podcast by Thursday this week. And it might not be the right Thursday morning, but sometime Thursday it, will, it should go up there. And uh, something tells me we also should start putting a recommended reading list with that too as well. As yeah, I think so. So we'll go ahead and do that. I uh, want to remind everybody that next week we have uh, Dr. Kathy Maxwell, who's going to be uh, – she's from PBA. And she's going to be teaching us on the biblical basis for women in ministry. And so that's going to be a really eye-opening time and really helpful time, I think. So it's going to be fantastic. So make sure if you haven't registered for that yet, go to the website and um, communityfolk.church slash Hope University. You can register for that. Great. All righty. Awesome. Any, any parting words for the church? No, that's it. Amen. Praise God. It was fantastic.
felt like I was back at seminary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Amen. All right. Well, thanks again, Dr. Siemens. All right, everybody, let's give one more hand clap for Dr. Siemens. Thank you. All right. And all right, God bless you, everybody. We'll see you for worship this weekend and hopefully next week for Hope You. And good to see yeah. you, Dr. Siemens. God bless you, sir. Okay. Good evening. Good night. Right. Good night.